0: So we're uh, continuing our series, in Kings, a manual for dissidents. Um, as I've been saying the entire time uh, in this series, uh, I am a little bit pessimistic about the future of our culture. Um, I hope that I'm wrong, but I get the sense that we are not headed in a, a pro-church, pro-Christian uh, environment. And as a result, um, it's important for us to know how to remain faithful uh, in the midst of that and uh, Kings is is the first and second Kings are, are like a manual for that. They they show what it's like how to live faithfully in a, 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 a culture that is that is headed away. And so let's uh, jump into our text for today, First Kings nineteen. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, and then I'll come with you. Um, Elijah responds, go back. What do I have to do with you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to, the, to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And, then, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Um, this is a very, <laughs> it comes across a very strange text. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, first, where are we? Um, and so Elijah went from there, found Elisha, uh, son of Shaphat. Uh, if you recall, Elijah has had a pretty rough ministry. He's he's had a lot of issues, a lot of uh, fear, a lot of isolation, a lot of just, yikes. It's, it's been a tough road to hoe. But God has told him that he's going to have a successor. And that successor is going to be Elisha. So Elijah, he he's probably a little worried. He's probably a little worried because he knows what it takes to be faithful the way he's been faithful in this culture, and he doesn't know who Elisha is. He doesn't know if Elisha is going to measure up. Uh, in 1992, uh, my all-time favorite legal drama was released, um, "A Few Good Men." Have you seen this film? Uh, and for the for the younger folks, do you know? Who a few good men are? Like, Sam, if I said, I'm looking for a few good men, do you know what that refers to at all? Okay. Well, at the time, for those of us who are old, uh, we all knew what it meant because we had lived through um, this incredible commercial uh, from 1985. Uh, Marilyn, I'm probably going to have to jack up the volume. I I don't know how it's going to go, but. You begin with raw steel. Shape it with fire, muscle, and sweat. Polish it to razor-sharp perfection. We're looking for a few good men. With a medal to be Marines. Wow. Man, that was sexist. Did you see that? Did you see the sexism? Incredible. Uh, well, it, th- this commercial was uh, viewed um, by Steve Malapard and Lloyd Grimm, who are two uh, elders in our church now, and uh, they believed that and foolishly signed up to serve in the Marine Corps. Uh, and if you don't know what, uh, what's, what goes on in the Marine Corps, the Marines see themselves as um, kind of the best of the best when it comes to the fighting units. Uh, the Marines are the first to fight. They're the last to leave. And, and they're elite in another sense. Uh, of the armed services, the Marines are, they call themselves the few because they are the fewest. So there's, uh, the, uh, right now we currently have about 180,000 active duty Marines. Okay? Uh, compare that to the Army where it's like 350,000. Or the Air Force, 320,000. Or, or the Navy, also 320,000. The Marines are about half the size of the other uh, services. And the reason for that is because they have a very specific mission. Be the first in, last to leave. And they have to be a lot of times the tip of the spear. Um so Sam, you graduated. Uh you're maybe thinking about going joining the Marines. If you're curious, if you're curious about what the Marine Corps life is like, uh especially if you want to join uh, Marine Recon, uh that, that's their elite unit, uh go go talk to Steve Malpart. He did four years, got to spend some time with Saddam Hussein, uh Lloyd did too, and and maybe hopefully he'll uh, he'll talk you out of it. Uh, the, the, the reason they're the few and the proud and, and uh, a few good men is because there's not many who can, who can do it. Not many people have what it takes to be a Marine, even just a regular uh, Marine, to say nothing of an elite Marine. Um, Lloyd is an expert marksman. He was the best shooter in his class. At our latest uh, gun thing, he just like walked up like pop, 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 pop. Everything was dead on target. His, his children were suitably impressed. And and like I said, uh, Steve was recon. So we th- these are these are the, the the few and the proud. Elijah understands that he's going to need the few and the proud. It's they're going to have to be extremely tough. They're going to have to be the best of the best because when it comes to speaking the truth, when it comes to being a prophet in a hostile culture, people are going to be gunning for you. And so the first thing in your note sheets is, is that. When cultures get antichristic, God goes on the lookout for a few good men and women. Do you have what it takes? Now uh, I, I I emphasize the few because the majority of us are not called to this. The majority of Christians are not called to this type of vocation. And and we'll see why as we as we go through. And so one of the questions you, you should be asking as we go through is is who am I? Am I one of the few? Do I have what it takes? Or am I slotted for a different role? So let's go back to the text. Uh, what, what, do we, what does Elijah find? He finds something very encouraging. He sees that Elisha is uh, plowing 12 yoke of oxen and is himself driving the last of the 12th pair. Uh, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Well, uh, <laughs> that's a lot more oxen than any one guy should be in charge of, okay? Uh, really, for subsistence farmers you really just need one pair of oxen and that's what you're going to use to to you know take care of your the reason that uh, elijah has 12 is for is two two reasons the first is it's symbolic it's symbolic of the complete people of god all of israel anytime you see the number 12 in scripture uh, it's a representation of all of god's people there's 12 tribes there's 12 disciples And so symbolically, what Elisha is doing by driving 12 yokes, um, 12 pairs of oxen, is he's representing all of the people. And that is something that Elijah is very, very interested in, because that's exactly what Elijah did. And he represented people when they could not represent themselves. Um, and the bit about the, the cloak this is uh, in first in and second kings uh, elijah 's cloak is a, it's a representation of spiritual power when he eventually he eventually will pass on uh, the the cloak to elisha. Elisha says, "Give me your cloak and a double portion of your spirit." and when he receives elijah 's cloak, he receives power and so Elisha immediately understands what 's happening. elijah 's seen him from afar he 's waited for his oxen to come by, and now he 's asking him to join up." Um, I have a quote here from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a, he was a famous martyr. He, um, he vocally opposed Nazi Germany uh, to the point that he, he was a German Lutheran pastor, to the point that he was imprisoned and eventually executed because he wouldn't keep his mouth shut. Um, he... Uh, has this quote if i if i sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders i cannot as a christian simply wait for the catastrophe then comfort the wounded and bury the dead i must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the leaders in what they called the confessing church in germany there were lots of people who Disagreed with the Nazis, lots of people who hated what the Nazis were representing and and stood for. And yet, very, very few of them had the courage or the opportunity to speak out, to represent all the, the people who were suffering in silence. By plowing the 12 yokes of oxen, Elisha is providing for his community. He's supporting the people who maybe can't support themselves. And he's representing them. He's the kind of guy, it looks like, maybe, will have the guts to say what other people are thinking but are too scared to say. Because they're afraid that their heads might get chopped off. That's exactly the kind of person that that has what it takes. That's the few. That's 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 not everybody. Very few of us have that. But at first glance, Elijah thinks, maybe this guy does. That's the next thing you're no cheese. Those who have what it takes represent and serve the people who cannot represent themselves. I told the story a few weeks ago of my friend, uh, uh, who works for a major medical corporation. He he can't say what he thinks, or he'll be fired. He's a conservative Catholic, and uh, the things that he believes he must keep his mouth shut about, because if he says anything, he won't be able to support his family. Or his church. And so he relies on other people. Those who have it take. The few. To speak for him. But then something uh, odd happens. Okay, so so uh, going back to the text. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. Not This is a go back, um, what do I have to do with you? This is a Hebrew idiom and so it doesn 't quite fit in English, but the English equivalent would be something like i i, I don 't want to have anything to do with you it 's a rebuke he 's he's, he's saying uh, this is a, what do I have to do with you is a very literal uh, translation, but the, the idiom means i don 't want anything to do with you get out of here. This is not oh yeah, go back and kiss your mom and dad of course, why not like, you've got you No, no, it's, no, get out of here. I don't want to see you again. Which is a very troubling response. I mean, Elisha, it looks like he's got what it takes. It looks like he's, you know, one of the good guys. All he wants to do is say bye to mom and dad. How, how could that, how, how could that possibly be an issue? Why is Elijah upset about it? Well, interestingly, in Luke 9, Jesus comments on this, um, this text. Uh, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go, and say, go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Again, brutal. A harsh, hard word. Why? What is it about this, this mission that Jesus is, is, is talking about, serving the kingdom? What is it about Elijah's work as a prophet in a, in a hostile environment that, that you can't even say goodbye to your family? Well, in totalitarian states, um, one of the ways that they control people is they make it very clear what you're not allowed to say. It. And if you do say it, instead of going after you alone, they first go after your family. Um, we have a number of, of stories and accounts from uh, the Eastern Bloc during Soviet Russia's rule where uh, someone would, would stand up and say, no, this, this can't happen. And that person would be sent to jail, yes, but, but not until that person watched their, their daughter being beaten up. In an incredibly anti christian culture where evil forces are at work, they will do evil things. And if they suspect that they can, can control you, have leverage over you because of your ties to your family, to your church, to your friends, they are going to push on that. And so if you're one of the few, if you're the one of the ones who has what it takes, you have to be ready to face that. That's really hard for us. Uh, Next slide. You know, Coast Bible Church. Bible, grace, family. Family is one of our core values. We believe that God has instituted families, that we should treat each other like a family, that family is the cornerstone of the building up of the kingdom. We believe that. there comes a time where someone has to take up the unenviable task of leaving that behind because the preservation of the kingdom of God is worth it. Because you can't stand by and let the madman crash into innocent children. What Elijah sees is he sees Elisha looking back and he's wondering, are you willing to cut ties? Are you willing to go all the way? Are you willing to be all in? the next thing in your note, cheese. The biggest temptations for those who have what it takes, the few, the proud, are the ties that bind us from absolute, commitment. So what does Elijah do with this? You expect, again, this is unexpected, you expect him to uh, to just say, okay, I'm done, I, I don't need to talk to my parents. You expect him to just follow Elijah. But no, he goes back. Interestingly, the text doesn't tell us that he then goes and says goodbye to his parents. He may have, but the text doesn't say that. The text says something entirely different. He takes his yoke of oxen and he kills them. He slaughters them. He burns his, his plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gives it to all the people. Remember, he's, he's um, working for and supplying uh, an entire community here. And so he's what is essentially like a, a goodbye party. He throws a big goodbye party for them. But notice how he does it. He kills his two cows and he burns his plow. In uh, 1518, uh, Hernan, Hernan or Hernando Cortez was tasked with a mission uh, by the Spanish uh, monarchy to take over, to to conquer uh, the Aztecs in, in Mexico uh he was i think he was stationed in cuba at the time and due to some uh some issue that he had with his boss his boss cancels the mission his boss says you're not allowed to go and cortez is very upset he's already um he's already put together an 11 ship flotilla he uh, he has 600 men 500 of whom are uh, combat ready and so he's incredibly upset and so he just goes anyway he defies the orders of his, uh, his, his boss. He defies the orders of the monarchy. And he goes and he comes to the new world with the intent of conquering it for Spain. During the trip from Cuba uh, to, I think, what's now Mexico, um, he starts to hear some of the guys, you know, backbiting. Like, why are we doing this? We're putting our lives on line for, for nothing, for no reason. Like, he doesn't have the right to do this. How, how can we possibly go along with this, this, this trip? This, this, these, are, these, aren't, these aren't legal orders. When Cortez lands, the first thing he does is he orders his men to burn 10 of the 11 ships. And then he says, and by all accounts was a very charismatic leader, had not a a military bone in his own body. He was more of an administrator, but a a courageous leader. He he, he tells his men, you can't go back. We have to win or die. You're not swimming back to Cuba. The only thing you're going to do is capture a Tecnotolam. And they did. It was an amazing success. I mean, nowadays we look back and like, was that really the best thing to do? Maybe. But the Spanish government was blown away by his performance, and despite the fact that he had ignored their orders, he was given a, a he was made viceroy over the new land because he had shown an absolute commitment to victory. No going back. He burned all of his bridges. He burned all of his boats. And the only way out was through. When Elisha goes back to to throw a party for his people, you notice what he does. He takes his very means of livelihood and he destroys it. He says, I'm never coming back. I'm all in. Not all of us can do that. There's only a few who have what it takes. But if you're one of them, the last thing in your note sheets, if God has called you to be one of the few, burn your boats. Burn your boats. Be ready to cut every tie that binds. Be ready to be absolutely 100% unlimitedly committed to the mission, to preserving the kingdom, to telling the truth, to being the one who might get cut down. A few good men and women have a couple of questions to ask. First, um, the few begin as servants of God's people. Who do you serve? If you're wondering, you're not sure yet whether you're one of the few. The, notice the very beginning is that Elisha is—he's a—he's a protector and a representative of, of God's people. Is that you? Is that what you do? Or are you more like—I I mean, I like—I like the idea of serving God's people like all the time. But I, and and if so, then we're going to talk about what what you're called to. All right, uh, number two, are you one of the few? Uh, the few are not afra- afraid to say out loud what the many think privately. Do you represent God's people publicly? Um, we're getting into a culture that is more and more, dif- it's difficult for uh, Christians to you know, say things about, say, abortion or gender or um, the culture war is really heating up, and and, and it's now even sometimes getting violent. And if you're curious about what I, what we, why why I think that, uh, go back to the first message in this series. Where we we talk seriously about that, about the trends that are that are happening. And as a result, there are a lot of people who cannot say what they think. Maybe some of you right now in this audience, you know, you're you're in a place where you just can't. You're like you're you're quiet because if you did, you get fired. But there are some of us here who are never afraid to stand up and tell the truth. You might be one of the few. Number three, the few demonstrate absolute commitment to burning their boats. What boats do you have and what boats have you burned? Typically, the boat is is the people that you love the most. Because they're the ones that are going to get hurt if uh, you get attacked. Um, but it's not just that. There's, there's lots of different things that hold us back, that, that, that keep us from, from wanting to, to, to be public and to be out and, and, and fighting the good fight. What are those? And maybe if you're one of the few, you might already have burned some of those. You might already have in your heart said, I am willing to cut anything for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe there's one boat left that you have to burn. Well, what about the many? I don't know how many of the few we have here, but I, I know we have some. But what about the rest of us? You may not be called to to go out and, and be Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Elisha or, or any of, them. that might not be you. Instead, you might be called to be the one who's behind the scenes, who's making the Elijahs and the Elishas and the Dietrich Bonhoeffers possible. You might have to keep your head down like my friend, the medical corporation, but he uses the money he makes from those people to support his church and to keep the truth truth tellers at his church employed. You might be the, the person who makes it possible for the truth to be told because you protect with your time, your money, your energy, your resources, those who are out fighting the good fight. And that is a huge, huge commitment. Like, we, you know, Finance Committee is always trying to get me to, to talk about money. One of the things I will say about um, money and, and, and giving it, uh, to the church is that what you're doing is you are funding the possible. Like, you saw the the video, what those high school kids have experienced over the last four years, you know that what is going on here matters and it's important. We are a bastion, we are a city on a hill, we are holding the fort, we are holding ground against a culture that is increasingly running away. And it's not free. We've been incredibly less this church. I'm asking you to think about more. Because if we don't have it, we can't. We Our mouths are shut. If I'm going to be an Elijah, an Elisha, or a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if I'm going to be willing to count the cost, I need you behind me. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we... Um, we pray, Lord, that we pray for revival in this country. We pray for a turn in this culture. We beg you, God, to, to bring, um, the truth of, of the faith back into the, the secular square and to make, um, to make Christianity, um, valued and prized and loved again. But God, if that doesn't happen, I pray that you're tugging on a few hearts here today. I pray you're hugging on a, on a, on a few good men and women. Who are ready to burn their boats, who love serving your people, who are willing to say out loud what the rest of us are thinking. And God, for the many, for the rest of us, just, I, I just ask you to, to tug our hearts to be, to be the resources and the support for those who are out on the front lines, to be committed to making sure that the Elijahs and Elishas and Dietrich Bonhoeffers are taken care of and, and given a place of rest, a place of safety when they return from the fight. In all of this, God, may we be your church. May we continue to hold fast the truth that you've given us in your word. And may we look forward to resurrection and eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.